Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello and welcome to uh, The Inner Life, and this is, I was going to say it's a Wednesday, but it's only Tuesday, isn't it, Nick? It's <laughs> its only Tuesday, I guess, wishful thinking of wanting the week to zip by, and not that I have any reason for it to uh, need to go faster, and uh, hopefully you don't either. Hopefully you're just enjoying the days as they come your way. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and glad to have you along for this hour of spiritual direction here on the Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And uh, have you ever gone and visited someplace? that you originally maybe saw in a television episode or a movie. What did you think when you arrived, when you finally saw the real location? Was it better than what you saw on television or in that movie? Or did you find yourself a little disappointed? I've been to a few of those kinds of locations. One that didn't live up to what I envisioned. One that stands out to me is from the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. In most of that movie, it was filmed at the Oregon State Hospital located in Salem, Oregon. And I lived in Salem for about five years. This was in the early 2000s. And I drove past that hospital regularly. But when I had seen that movie and found out, oh, that's the hospital where they filmed it, I had envisioned previously that this hospital was out in kind of a rural setting. Because at the end of the movie, the character of Chief He breaks through this window and he runs off in freedom at the very end. And he's headed out towards these mountains and there's the pine trees, the forests that are out there. But the Oregon State Hospital, it's actually right in the center of Salem. In fact, it's even on a street called Center Street. So there's nothing rural about the setting. And that was a bit of a disappointment for me when I first drove past that hospital and said, well, this isn't isn't what it's supposed to be. Sometimes you get to a place like that and it can be maybe a mixed bag, some good and some not so great. And this happened when I was 10 years old and I was visiting my older sister. She lived in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time. And I told her that I wanted to go visit some of those different sites that I'd seen in movies. So we went to Chinatown. That was just very busy. That's about all I remember from that. We drove over to see the Golden Gate Bridge. That was a bit of a letdown. Uh, At 10 years old, I just remember looking up at it and thinking, huh, that's it. (laughs) And so we moved on to the next thing. But the one place in San Francisco that really did kind of live up to my expectations was Lombard Street. And if you're not familiar with Lombard Street, it's a section of road that has been billed as the crookedest street in the world. It's just a one block length. And it zigzags back and forth down a hill. And I can remember that the houses along that street, the owners, they did a really good job of keeping everything looking crisp and well manicured. And we even talked about, oh, 
uh, you just always have to make sure your yard is in pristine condition if you lived on that street. Uh, we also had to wait in a long line of cars, so it'd be really difficult to get out to pull out of your driveway there. But I was smiling and enjoying the experience as we drove down that winding street, Lombard Street. And then there are places that you end up enjoying the whole experience. It really does live up to in most ways, or maybe even exceeds your expectations. And when I was in seventh grade, I traveled to Washington, D.C. as part of a school trip that we took during spring break that year. And it was this great experience to see all of these different sites associated with the early founding of our country. Colonial Williamsburg, we went through there. It was fascinating to see people dressed up in the the 18th century clothes and keeping so much of early American history alive and accessible. Mount Vernon, George Washington's home, that was fascinating. The Smithsonian, it was amazing. I highly recommend it if you have the opportunity to go out there. But maybe the best thing that I remember from that trip, there's something quite incredible about standing in front of that massive statue of Abraham Lincoln and being able to read the eloquent and concise words on the inner walls of the Lincoln Memorial. One wall has the text of the Gettysburg Address, and the opposite wall has Lincoln's second inaugural address. And I remember visiting there. It was a cool spring night, And even at the age of 13, I knew this was really an extraordinary sight. Wouldn't it be nice if all the places we visited in our lives, every place that we had expectations, each place had that ability to exceed those expectations? Here in this life, we know that that won't happen. We won't be quite so fortunate. But when this life is over, if we die in a state of grace if we're in friendship, if we are in communion with God, then we have that hope of entering a place that will go beyond any imaginings that we could have of what awaits us, the glories, the magnificence of heaven. And so today we want to spend this hour talking about heaven, as well as looking at what the church teaches about purgatory and about hell, and have a better understanding of what each of these are. And joining us today as our spiritual director, Father Joe Freedy is back with us once again. He's a priest in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. He's the assistant director of evangelization and the chaplain to students at Oakland Catholic and Central Catholic high schools there in the diocese. Uh, Father Joe, welcome back to The Inner Life today. So glad to have you with us here as we talk about heaven and hell and purgatory on uh, during this hour. Thanks so much. Yeah, really nice to be with you and discuss uh, such important, important topics. Well, and when we talk about heaven or hell or purgatory, um, one of the first things that I think might be good to talk about is we have, number one, we have limited knowledge about these places. And even as I refer to them as places, because we have limited language and we are finite beings, we find ourselves in this place where our words will probably fall a little short in how we explain or describe one of these, uh, again, talking about it just in the word as a location, but it might be a state of being. It's something that's beyond our experience of, of space and time as we know it. Um, that that might be a good place to start, Father. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's we have to use words that we're familiar with in this world and to describe things because that's all we have. You know, the, the Fatima visionaries, St. Bernadette and Lourdes, they were asked to describe our Blessed Mother, and they can give, they, they gave descriptions of her. 
But in the end, or St. Faustina with the Divine Mercy, when they brought the image to her, she wept because they, we could never render, either verbally or in a painting or an image, the beauty and the majesty of Jesus in the Divine Mercy or what our Blessed Mother, the radiant beauty that comes from um, from her, we could never quite describe that. So we can describe characteristics. It's the same thing with the glories of heaven and the torments of hell, that we have to use words like, um, you know, beauty and glory and majesty and um, the happiest you ever, because that's all we have. But we have to remember, and, you know, so many teachers of the faith talk about it, like we are entering a different dimension. It's like moving from a triangle to a pyramid, right? So, or a square, a flat square, to a to a um, cube, right? It's, it's kind of this other dimension that is completely expanded. Um, but I, I I think setting the framework, even before we get into the specifics, is is so important. Um, and and even in my my work in evangelization, these are topics of extraordinary evangelical import that that I think we've we've lost. We've you know, and I'm not sure if we want to talk about this later in the show or now, but um something that, that has just continued to come up that came out of the institute that's based at Notre Dame of moral moralistic therapeutic deism, that God basically exists as a, a pretty nice guy who's there to help you out when you're going through tough times. And in the end, you know, when everybody dies, everybody goes to heaven, unless you're really horrible like Mao or Hitler or Stalin right. or something like that. But other than that, everybody's there. Well, well yeah, and go ahead, Father. I'm sorry. No, no, it, it's, it, that has extraordinary evangelical implications. It just means so much to how I'm going to live during this life and what Christianity actually is. So it, it's important to to encounter Christ in the Gospels as he is and not as either we want him or we've we've been we've been taught falsely about him and 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 who he actually is and what exactly what you said to start out the show what judgment means um and the fact that there is an afterlife. Well, and so let's talk about that because judgment has to enter the conversation because we're going to wherever we wind up that's the part that has to happen first. First, there's a couple of things that have to happen when we talk about heaven, hell, or purgatory. We have to die. Um, I, I, well, we have to die, or Jesus has to come back. It's one of those two, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, after that, then there is the judgment. And yeah, I think we should talk about what the judgment is and what it's not, because kind of what you're saying is what I've heard many, many times. I've had conversations with people where they have this notion that after they die, then, uh, well, you know, I'll kind of just sit down with God and kind of like having a cup of coffee. And we'll sit, you know, there and talk across the table and discuss all the good things and the bad things that I did in my life. And and I'm a pretty good person, so the good should probably outweigh the bad, and God will probably let me into heaven. Even if there's, you know, a little more of the bad stuff, well, I can probably talk to God and, and reason with him and and just say, you know, you're you're not going to regret letting me into heaven. I'll I'll be I'll be great there and, you know, He'll let me in because I'm a pretty decent guy. Uh, so, like you say, 
There's a couple things we need to address here. First is probably just that this is a false notion. This is not true. And getting that part understood. But I guess also, where does this idea come from? Because I don't think it's unique to our time where, you know, this this idea of just being a good person, doing good things gets you into heaven. This has probably been around throughout the history of Christianity. I, I would imagine there's been, uh, at times, um, greater or lesser degrees, and, and maybe even erring on the other side, um, you know, kind of the idea of the Masa Damnata, that everybody, you know, is, is going to hell. So I'm sure there's been kind of errors on either side, but I think, obviously, we have the teachings of the Church and the Gospels themselves to guide us, and I, I think that's the place um, where you start. So I really to start with the fact that, you know, that C.S. Lewis says, no one you will ever see in your life is a mere mortal. That each of us has started eternal life right now. And how can we say that? Because we have immortal souls. It's kind of fascinating. You know, we we so often just, at least I do, take things so for granted. Um, But the fact that I have begun, my soul, soul and my body will live forever. So we think of eternal life beginning when we go through bodily death, that is the separation of our souls from our bodies. But eternal life, you know, in in a broader sense begins right now. So each of us has an immortal soul, which means it there, it will not die ever and we will not go out of existence. So that's kind of the first part. And then when we talk about, just the structure of salvation, um, and if you don't mind just me just laying that out. No, I think that's very important to this conversation that, again, we've talked about what the false idea of end of life and standing before God is. So, yeah, what is salvation, and then, I, you know, what will judgment really be like? I think that's very important to address. Yeah, and and even how you know how we how we get there, the two roads that are so prominent in the scriptures, and especially the first first two uh, psalms. But so before anything existed, obviously God existed. He is you know ipsum esse, being Himself, the ground of all being, um, the Great I Am. One of my buddies, who's a Hebrew scholar, said the One who is is ising. You know this being itself. Um, so. At a particular time, right, he decides to create. He creates the corporeal world, that is, things with matter, and the spiritual world, pure spirits. Of course, he is pure spirit. And then we have the angels. And, you know, tradition varies, but the general idea, and we pick this up in the book of Revelation specifically, is that God creates the angels, and there's these nine choirs of angels and he reveals to them that he's going to make these things called human beings in his image and likeness. And and he reveals to them his plan. And Lucifer, right, the highest of the angels, the seraphim, which is, a, you know, fascinating. It means um, the burning ones, which Hebrews 12.29 says, you know, our God is a consuming fire. So when you think of the seraphim, as those angels who are on fire because they're the angels closest to God. So Lucifer is a seraphim. Luce in Italian is light, right? So he's the light bearer. He rebels, and the sin of the devil is 
obviously pride. So he's, you know, the angels are meant to serve these human beings made in his image and likeness. And he says, non servium, I will not serve. And then, of course, Michael, an archangel, Mikael, El in Hebrew meaning God, rises up and says, who is like God? And, you know, how could you possibly go against the all-knowing, all-loving, all-good God? Cast Michael out of heaven, and a third of the angels fall with him. And those angels are, the fallen angels, as you know, I'm sure our listeners know, are, are called demons. And demons are real. And we have exorcisms, and I've, I've prayed at exorcisms, just simply assisting. I'm not the exorcist, but... Um, and this is going on, I would hope, in every diocese um, in the country. And, and um, it's real, and angels exist, and demons exist, and angels want to assist us to get to heaven. And demons want to tempt us to help us to hell, to live with them for all eternity. And neither one of them can force us. Demons can't force us into hell, and angels can't drag us into heaven, and neither can God. So it's interesting in this extraordinary battle, we are both in the fight and we're what's being fought over. So both sides want us to live with them for all eternity. But ultimately, it's our choice. As a man kneels down and proposes to his wife, he does not um, force, right? He doesn't say, you will marry me. He asks, will you marry me? So God, and often you see the angel Gabriel in the paintings of the Annunciation, kneel before our Blessed Mother. God, in a certain sense, proposes to us, I would like you to live with me for all eternity. But it's a proposal. Because of free will, God will neither cast us into hell or drag us into heaven. He will simply render to us what we have chosen in our lifetimes. Well, as you're giving that image, too, uh, you know, one thing that comes to my mind is it might be easy to twist that concept or that idea of God proposing or kneeling or, you know, requesting us to be in heaven. He's not going to force it. But we, we might say, wow, I am so important that this is how God responds to me, whereas we still need to keep God in his place and understand that he is infinite, we are finite. He is almighty, we are very limited people, we, we are very fragile individuals. And we can't let that turn us into prideful. We still have to make sure that we, we have a right understanding of God does all the work for us, and there's nothing we can do. You know, going back to that idea, if, I, if I'm a pretty good person, all the good things that I do in my life, there's nothing you can do in your life outside of saying, yes, I accept your invitation, and now I want to devote myself to growing to know you more, to know, love, and serve you, uh, that I can be happy in this life and in the next. Absolutely, yeah, and it's 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 creation, fall, redemption, and our response. So exactly, salvation is to be received and responded to as a free gift. So, you know, often when we talk about Holy Thursday, right, when, when Jesus kneels down and, you know, wraps the cloak around him, the fathers of the church 
you know, before he washes the disciples' feet, they really talk about that as a type of the incarnation. Um, he takes off his one robe, that is, you know, the fathers of the church will say that he kind of um, divests himself of the glory of his divinity, although he's obviously fully divine um, as he becomes incarnate, and he kneels in front of us, and that kneeling is really the incarnation. Um, that's how they would see that imagery. But no, of course, the infinite God and us finite creatures. Um, that's why it's it's so it's so tempting in our suffering. Um, and I know we're not specifically talking about suffering in this episode, but we the temptation is to begin to put God on the judgment seat. Like you are the one to be criticized, and and that's where Job is very helpful when God says, um, "Who is this who criticizes the Almighty? Will will we have a voice for the critic to criticize the Almighty?" So now salvation is a free gift offered to us as God's response and His free act of love. Our spiritual director here today on The Inner Life, Father Joe Friedi, a priest in the Diocese of Pittsburgh, and we're talking about heaven and hell and purgatory and having a better understanding of those three places and what our response should be and how are you? How are you making sure that you are prepared when God calls you home? Maybe you have some questions about the judgment or about what happens after we die. And when you think of the end of life, your end of life, your eternal destiny, is that something that makes you scared, worried, or do you find yourself hopeful and expectant? And why? We'd love to hear from you and how you are uh, trying to ensure that you are heaven-bound at the end of your life. Our studio line, 888-914-9149, and our email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com. More to come here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app right after this. Relevant Radio runs on horsepower. Your horsepower. Donate any vehicle and keep our stations running. Join in with hundreds of other listeners who have given their used vehicles at relevantradio.com slash car. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, our spiritual director, Father Joe Friedi, as today we talk about heaven, hell, and purgatory. And what do you think of when you think of heaven or of hell or of purgatory? Is it something that seems really abstract and you've got some questions about it? Uh, more importantly, how are you preparing yourself so that when God calls you home at the end of your life, that you know you're bound for heaven, that you're not bound for the other place, and you have that hope. Our studio line, 888-914-9149, I also want to mention, too, that coming up in November, uh, November 1st, we celebrate All Saints Day, November 2nd, All Souls Day, and we're going to have a novena praying for all the holy souls 
your friends, your family who have passed from earthly life. And it'll start on November 2nd, on All Souls Day, go through November 10th, and we'll remember your departed loved ones during the Mass, during the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, and during the Family Rosary Across America. And you can submit names that you would like prayed for by going to relevantradio.com slash souls. You'll also, if you go to our website, relevantradio.com, or if you click on the Relevant Radio app, you'll see a banner there, and you can click. And there is no limit to the number of names that you can submit for this uh, novena. Again, it starts November 2nd, so anybody that you would like remembered in those prayers as well as Mass, uh, Mass, Chaplet of Divine Mercy, and Family Rosary Across America, just go to relevantradio.com or go on the Relevant Radio app, and you can uh, send those names to us, and we will remember them all each day of those nine days, November 2nd through the 10th. And I hope you join as we pray together. I hope you're able to tune in for Mass and join Drew for the chaplet at 3 o'clock Central and Father Rocky on the Family Rosary Across America at 7 o'clock Central um, each evening as he leads you in the rosary there, too. Uh, Father Joe, back to our conversation. So we talked a lot about um, judgment. We talked about salvation, about the free gift that God offers us. And so then we have the hope that we will, at some point, we will be in heaven. And in art, a lot of different art, we have heaven represented with clouds or kind of a bright, brilliant, white kind of space We see television or movies where someone in heaven, they're wearing a white robe, maybe holding on to some little golden harp. And these images don't really line up with what St. John describes in the book of Revelation, where he talks about heaven and about being there in front of the throne of the Lamb and seeing all the heavenly creatures and the angels. So... What do we really know about heaven? What will it be like? Well, again, it's it's we're using uh, the language of this world, but so often Christ describes it, and as you're you know describing also the Book of Revelation, um, a wedding banquet and a heavenly liturgy. So I, so many times in my life, I've thought, not so many times, but I, I remember certain times where I've imagined heaven is boring. And I, there's been times in my life when things were so good in life, I thought, how could heaven be any better than this, right? <laughs> and, you know, the image of the harps and having a cup of coffee with God, or it's just like, we're, what are we going to do for all eternity? Just be up there and be bored. Um, but no, I'm right, St. Paul describes it using kind of the via negativa, the no eye has seen, no ear has heard, or has it even dawned on man what God has prepared for those who love him. So um, it's kind of beyond imagination, but one person I heard um, describe it, a priest I heard, talked about a quenching of a thirst. So not just our hearts are made for God, but every cell and fiber of our being are made for union with God. So he said, just imagine the thirstiest you've ever been, or imagine being in a sand desert and not having, you know, we've all had this sensation of being thirsty, but just imagine that thirst a thousand times over. And then remember, I remember I was outside. I took a way longer hike than I ever expected. I was gone for four and a half hours. I hadn't had anything to drink. I came home and I had a Gatorade. And just drinking that Gatorade 
it was a certain, it wasn't even like an ecstasy. It was a certain fullness of quenching that every cell in my being was, you know, so thirsty. And I remember taking that sip and again, it pales in comparison, but that, that moment of thirst quenching that just continues to expand and get better and better and better is a glimpse of heaven, right? Or if you've ever seen, you know, we've, we've seen the Lord of the Rings and after the ring is destroyed and um, they're all like around the bed. I can't remember the main character's name right now. Oh, Frodo. The one. Frodo, right? They're around Frodo's bed and and he wakes up and there's this this extraordinary moment of this is, I I can't believe how good this moment is. This moment of communion with friends, and they're just laughing, and it's it's some ecstasy comes from ecstasis. I mean, to go outside of yourself, it's kind of this going outside of yourself in love and gratitude, um, that continues to grow and grow and grow. So, you know, again, we're using earthly language and. The scriptures used earthy analogies like a wedding banquet um, to to try and describe how good it is. If if we can imagine, you know, Jesus' resurrected body gives us a glimpse of what our bodies would be like, which is not bound by space or not bound by time, because once we enter eternity, we'll be outside of time. It's not like a really long time. Um, Even that kind of pales. Right. It's not it's not an accurate description. Well, so we had Skip who wrote in to us. He listens to us in Jacksonville, Florida, and here's what he said. He said, "The idea that some people have of heaven does not appeal to me. Seeking a heavenly home with eternal happiness seems rather self-centered. I don't want to go to heaven just to avoid damnation. I'd very much like to know the Lord fully, to understand what we do not to know him as he is." I'd certainly like to have an ability to pray as a saintly intercessor to help others. But trying to get to heaven for eternal rest, as if to be happy, don't worry, I'm saved, that just seems so unlike the Christ. Peace, yes, rest, no. So he says, what am I missing? What am I missing here in that concept of heaven? And I I think he brings up some really good points here, Father. You know, the idea that... Um, sometimes heaven can seem so bland in its portrayal. Okay, we're just up there with not much to do other than just sit and be happy or peaceful, but I don't want to just sit there and not do anything. I, w- I want something to actively engage me. Part of that, you, you mentioned we're created for God, and there's something about, I, I think of this in, you know, the relationship that I have with my wife. Sometimes it's okay just to be, and it might be some of the happiest moments that we have, just to be around each other, just to be in the presence of each other. And just for me to look over and know she's happy, she's content, she's taken care of. We don't have any immediate needs right now. She might be reading a book or, you know, doing something online. And we're in the same room, but we're not really talking, but just being in the presence of each other, that by itself is just enjoyable. 
Right. And uh, but even that gets bored. You know, like you couldn't do that for a month, right? Or a year. And I so I, I agree. I think that email makes you know some good good points. So the the first thing I would say is um, we we won't be bored in heaven. Um, we don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but it, it wouldn't be heaven if we got bored. Um, and the idea of there being any kind of the motivation of of being selfish, and that's that's why I want to go to heaven because I want to I want to be happy eternally. So we are made for happiness, and we can't not choose happiness. There's nothing. It's it's one thing we're not free to do. I, I can't choose against my own happiness. I mean, we we do do that. But even in choosing against our own happiness, we think that's what's going to make us happy. So you kind of can't get out of it that way. But happiness consists in going out of oneself in love for another. So, you know, I I just want to kind of ensure Skip in that email that heaven has to be active. Even we, we would call contemplation, which heaven is, it's the beatific vision, the highest activity of man. So the way that we, we imagine contemplation is just staring. I stare at God, God stares at me. Boy, it sounds pretty boring. Like, man, how long could you do that, let alone for all of eternity? But this is unlike a contemplation that we've ever experienced on earth. Even, again, to go back to the the visionaries, like St. Bernadette, right? When she was having a vision of Our Lady of Lords. She was so enthralled in the activity of beholding heaven that they would burn, you know, put hot hot things under her arm and she wouldn't even notice it because she was so caught up in this ecstatic vision. So contemplation is the highest activity of man. And St. Therese says, I will spend my heaven doing good upon earth. So before the consummation of, you know, after the consummation of the world, I'm not quite sure what the activity will be in heaven because there will be no, you know, earth will be subsumed into heaven. So, but but if we die before Christ comes again, um, we'll we're very much we will be interactive with the world. So the saints aren't up like really really high in some faraway place. They're very they're in heaven, but as we know, angels are moving. Um, in this world, and so are the saints. They come to assist us. So there is a lot of activity going on in heaven. Um, specific tasks are being done on earth by heavenly beings, um, but then also the contemplation of God is the highest activity of man. So I, I don't know if that helps or not. Right. Um, no, I, I think that I think that gives some good insight there as to you know the. There's things that, again, it's difficult to be able to say with exact certainty because I haven't been to heaven, (laughs) neither have you at this point, Father. We have the hope of going there. Um, But, you know, to the best of our ability, from what we know from Scripture, from what we know from church teaching, um, you know, being able to try and paint that proper picture and get rid of maybe some of those misconceptions that are out there. I think that's that's great. Um, we also have uh, some calls that are coming in, Father. Let's go to the phones. We've got Tom, who's listening to us in Grand Terrace, California. And Tom, welcome to The Inner Life today. 
Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to a really, really interesting uh, subject in our faith. Uh, I've been exploring it a lot more. And uh, I really would like, uh, Father, to kind of help me unpack uh, purgatory and the idea of at the end of our life journey, perhaps at our particular judgment, how we may need to continue to have uh, a purging of what I believe the catechism refers to as created goods or creatures. Uh, that word alone is kind of a little mysterious, but I think I understand it refers to the temporal world and things of this world. How, how do we, uh, I know it refers to God as fire, his love is purifying, purging. Um, maybe Father can help uh, unpack that uh, attachment to temporal goods or uh, is it sin? What is it? Is it our loved ones that we don't want to let go and therefore we cannot move forward? Maybe he can help explain it. Such a such a great question, so thank you. Um, when we talk about purgatory, right, that means that somebody has fundamentally chosen to say yes to Christ's offer of salvation. However, they're still, exactly like you quoted from the Catechism, there's an attachment to sin that someone is repenting from. So we 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 choose hell through not through unrepentant mortal sin. That is I am not sorry. I say no to God and I don't want you. Okay, that's that's hell. God gives us what we want for all eternity. I do want you God and I am striving, right? He says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Jesus says, I am the gate in John 10. So I often talk about the dimensions of the gate are the, really the dimensions of Christ. So I'm, I'm, I am towards Christ. I want Christ. I'm saying yes to him. But as we all do, and thank God for the sacrament of confession, I'm still attached. I still fall into the sin of God. I still, I, I you know, spoke behind somebody, the sin of detraction, hurting their reputation. I, I, I've done these things, but I am fundamentally ordered to Christ. And that's how I go to purgatory. So I die fundamentally to Christ. I've said yes to him, but I haven't fully allowed my heart to be detached from all that is not perfect love. So um, purgatory is that state where we the the desire we have to choose perfect love god aids us and we you know talk about that as the fires of purgatory in letting go of those things of burning them away until the only attachment we have is to god so i i sometimes i'll um, I, I heard somebody describe it this way, right? When when they were little kids, they used to play mud football, right? And then their mom and dad would call them in. And at least in Pittsburgh, we have like, you know, a hose in the garage. They call it the Pittsburgh garage, right? So, you know, they, they run in, they're about to get into the house, but, but mom, you know, or dad stops at the door and says, you still got some dirt on you. Like, they're they're going to get into the home and get to the dinner table, but but they have some dirt that's still on them that needs washed off in order for them to come in. So hopefully that's somewhat helpful in an explanation to we are fundamentally ordered towards God. We've said yes to him and his, 
in, in his um, offer of salvation to us, but we, we're still attached. We still have venial sins that we have died before we have been totally detached from. Tom, thanks so much for calling in. And uh, again, we're talking with Father Joe Freedy today, a priest in the Diocese of Pittsburgh, and talking about heaven and hell and purgatory. And maybe you have a question about any of those three places or states, however we try and define them uh, in our limited language, and you'd like to call in and ask a question, our studio line, 888-914-9149, and we'll take more of your phone calls and continue talking with Father Joe here in just a moment on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Yes, I want to see my Jesus shake his hand and have him greet us when they ring those golden bells for you and me. All right, so what is this song, Nick? is um, ring those golden bells it's a it's a traditional like bluegrass uh, americana song all right first time i've ever heard this one thanks for that welcome back to the inner life i'm josh raymond our spiritual director father joe freedy as we are talking about heaven hell and purgatory today on the program also taking your phone calls at 888-914-9149 and uh, father right before the break we were talking with tom about purgatory and i think one thing maybe just to follow up on that conversation conversation. This is one of those teachings of the Catholic Church that is really often met with resistance by non-Catholic Christians. The Catholic Church gets accused of inventing or making up purgatory because there's no mention of that word, purgatory, in the Bible. But it's this is one of those instances where even though that word doesn't show up in Scripture, we can still see the concept, the underlying teaching of this in Scripture. The Catholic Church really just gave it a name to more easily identify it rather than having to continually say, well, you know that concept where you're kind of purified before you can enter heaven? It got the name purgatory. Right. And it's, it's purgatory is a mercy, and Pope Benedict spoke so much about that. You know, it, it's obviously in Second Maccabees. The word Trinity is not in the scriptures, but it, you know, like we're, we've got what we need to dis- describe the three persons of God, right? The Blessed Trinity. Um, but it's, it's all over. It's, it's a little bit like the Mass. Like, where is the Mass in scripture? And I say, well, theologically, it's, you know, most concentratedly laid out in John chapter 6, but it's everywhere in yeah. Scripture. It's from the book of Genesis, Genesis to the book of Revelation, um, if we have the eyes to see it. And we've been given the eyes to see it through the gift of the Church. So uh, purgatory, while not mentioned by that specific word, um, the concept and the understanding is laid out in the scripture and and it is a good thing it's a, an extraordinary mercy that's extended to us by god if 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 there was no purgatory we would be um doomed in a certain sense because only those perfectly in love with god themselves and one another would get into heaven which there's a lot of really wonderful people but 
you know, like you mentioned before, it's not being a nice guy um, that gets one into heaven. And, and the bar, some people say, you know, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I haven't done anything too bad. It's not like I'm Hitler. Well, the, the Hitler's <laughs> not the bar, right? right? It's like, yeah. and, I, and I'm not the bar. And Mother Teresa or John Paul II, they're not even the bar. God gives us. He, he says, be perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect. Not Not be a little better than the worst guy that's ever been, or be a little better than your neighbor, or be a little better than father even. No, it's, we're, we're striving for total sanctification. And that happens um, to the extent that we allow that, that we receive that on earth. Uh, Father, let's go back to the phones. We've got Catherine who's listening in Wheaton, Illinois. Hi, Catherine. You're on the air with Father Joe Friedy. Hi. Um, yes, um, being a, a new Catholic coming from a legalistic background, meaning everything I did is almost like God kept a list of it and checked it off, and okay, that's a sin, that's a sin. I mean, it feels like we're we're all doomed because we're imperfect until we're with the Lord in heaven. So um, is it, I guess, purgatory to me, um, I do believe in purgatory, but it seems like it is such an anxious thing because he's constantly weighing everything we think, say, and do. And it's like a burden that I thought he wanted to share with us and um, and not live in fear, the wrong kind of fear of God. So how do we balance that with purgatory? Uh, again, I think a good question in, in how we are raised and how we've been formed in our Christian faith, our Catholic faith does... Um, that even our, our image and our understanding needs um, to be made more accurate, needs to be corrected. So I kind of think like Pope Benedict speaks about it is the, is a very helpful, is that it is a mercy, that the souls who are in purgatory desire this purification. So it's it's not just a place of torment or torture, but we are on our, purgatory is we are on our way towards heaven and so when we get a glimpse of God and get a glimpse of what awaits us, we desire to be purified. Like I'm sure there's been times um, in our listeners' lives where a little bit like St. Peter who says, depart from me, Lord, I am, you know, I'm not worthy, I'm an evil man. I've had moments of encountering the sanctity of God where all I can do is fall on my face and just, Lord, take everything that is not of you away from me, right? And it's not a fear, it's it's love. And so the souls in purgatory, um, they, they, in a certain sense, they're encouraging God, if I can use that language, like, do it, Lord. Take You are so beautiful. I want everything in me that is not pure beauty to be taken. Or maybe if you've, um, you know, I, I do a lot of marriage counseling or marriage preparatory, and sometimes the couples are, it's beautiful, like they're so in awe. I'm not worthy of of, of marrying this person or my spouse. Um, I, I, I long to be so much better because I love this person so much and think so highly of them. That's a little bit of a glimpse. The souls in purgatory are so in love with God that take it all from me, Lord. So it's it's kind of this purification in a certain sense a cooperation, an enthusiastic, desire-filled cooper, cooperation 
because I'm so in love and longing to be with him. Catherine, thanks so much for calling in. The other thing I might recommend, too, you know, just listening as you're talking about coming from that legalistic background, the thing that you might look into is reading more about God's mercy. And Pope Francis has a really easy-to-read book called The Name of God is Mercy, uh, Divine Mercy, uh, St. Faustina, the revelation given to her. Um, She talks about that all of our sins are just a drop in the ocean that is God's mercy. And being able to look at the infinite mercy that God has in spite of that sin, the, the sinful behavior that we, uh, we participate in, uh, I think that might give you some comfort there too. So I'd highly recommend looking into both of those. Uh, Father, we're down to just our last minute and a half, two minutes here, but um, we've talked about heaven, we've talked about purgatory, really didn't talk about hell. I, maybe, and this is probably <laughs> going to shortchange you on being able to respond uh, in any significant way, but uh, hell, you know, one of the biggest questions out there, how can a good God, a loving God, how can he send anyone to hell? Uh, that's kind of a, a, a disordered way of looking at hell. It's not that God sends somebody there. It's that we choose not to be with God, and the, we're the ones who make the choice, right? That's right. And and God, because of our freedom, and freedom is there has to be freedom if there's going to be love. Um, so he has to allow us to choose or, or there wouldn't be, he wouldn't be a loving God. So hell is not God saying no to us. Hell is someone saying no to God. I don't want you. I don't, you know, C.S. Lewis says the door to hell is locked from the inside. God does not have a big bolt and he's keeping the door to hell shut. It's that I don't want God. I hate you, and I don't want to be with you. And God cannot override that and says, no, you will be with me. I will override your free will. Just like a man who proposes to his wife, to go back to that analogy, cannot say, I know you said no to marrying me, but but you're marrying me, and you don't have a choice. I'm, I'm taking you back home, and we're going to be married. That that's not leaving the person free. So it's our freedom that he's respecting so much. Uh, Father, uh, the hour just flew by. We'll have to revisit this again at some point because there's so much that I know we didn't have an opportunity to talk about. But about 15 seconds here, could I ask you to offer all of our listeners a blessing as we conclude the hour? Yep. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, that your love and your mercy and your grace would just descend upon all those who are listening and their loved ones. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Joe Freedy, thank you so much for being our spiritual director for the hour. Of course, if you're listening and you missed an earlier portion of the broadcast, I always tell you, go back and listen to the podcast. It'll be available here shortly at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Also, did you know that October... It's Respect Life Month. Well, we're going to be talking about respecting life from conception to natural death coming up tomorrow on The Inner Life. I hope you'll join me there.